0: We're in the book of Zechariah together, one of the minor prophets. We're looking at Zechariah chapter 1. The last time we were together, we saw that God had an army of angels. This was a vision that Zechariah received from the Lord. God has an army of angels awaiting his command, awaiting his orders. And that army of angels, of course, was uh, a lot of them were situated in the land of Israel, And as the nation of Israel was returning back to the land, remember just a remnant had come back to the land, uh, very, very few in number as compared to those who were captured or killed, taken out of the land. A very few come back to the land. And God's letting them know, uh, letting the uh, people of Israel know, particularly through Zechariah, as he's writing a letter to the people that are back in the land, that his army of angels is there and they're prepared to do his will. Although, right now, uh, the angels were examining, and the world was somewhat at rest. We see that in chapter one and verse 11. <clears throat> and they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, "We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest." So there was a rest, a restful period of time at this particular time, but it was only temporary. And that that temporary period of time would soon end. Remember, that comes upon all mankind. God gives us times of rest. God gives us times of refreshment. But we recognize that those times uh, can be um, be few and far in between, or they might be multiplied. And yet, there's coming a time, a time of testing in our life. For some, uh, those tests seem to happen more often than others. Uh, a time of growing, a time of advancement. The Lord has a time for everything. In every season, there's a time. Remember, we read that, of course, uh, in the uh, Old Testament. There's a time to be born, a time to die. There's a time to plant, a a time to dig up. There's, There's a time for everything. And in our lives, there's a time for rest. And we're going to see that a little bit more in a moment. But the nations that were round about the nation of Israel who were enemies of Israel, God says, right now they're at rest, but there's a time coming, a time of judgment, and we're going to see that just a little bit later on. I want you to compare that just quickly f- with something. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. I know you're very aware of this, but in Genesis chapter 15, God is speaking to Abraham. And remember, he, he gives Abraham a vision of what's going to happen of, of his, his uh, people, his nation that will sh- come out of him. And he lets Abraham know, in a vision or in a dream, in the night time, about his promise to, the, to Abraham concerning his seed. And we see that in Genesis chapter 15, let's pick it up, please, right in verse 13. And he said, uh, in Genesis 15:13, "Know a surety that thy seed shall be a sojourner in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years." So this is Israel and Egypt. 400 years of affliction, and, and for the most part, a horrible affliction toward the end there, of course, under the Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. Picking up in verse 14, and also that nation whom they shall serve, I will judge, and afterwards they shall come out with a great substance. I guess he judged it. It's Egypt. They were at rest. They were the most powerful nation in the world. And God said, when I bring my people out of that land, I'm going to break your back. And he did including the entire army of Pharaoh, drowned, remember, in the Red Sea. Okay, continue on, please. Verse 15, And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come here again, back into the land of Israel. And notice, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Right now, God says, the Amorite people are at rest. Everything's going fine. They're in their paganism. They're enjoying themselves. They're doing all kinds of heinous wickedness, the, the hill people, the Canaanite people, the Amorite people of the land. But God said right now that at rest, but in 400 years, their rest is going to start. Their rest is going to stop. So we, we see the wicked flourish, do we not? I mean, all you need to do is look at the Psalms, the 73rd Psalm particularly, uh, Asaph says, oh, I can't believe it. I was jealous when I saw the wicked. They seemed to have everything they could want. They seemed, Listen, there's a time when they're not going to have what they want. There's a time when judgment comes, and God's letting us know that. But for, for you and I, God gives us some further information here, and he says that I have some words for you. And this is such a beautiful passage. Look at verse 12 of Zechariah chapter 1. And the angel of the Lord answered said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem? So remember, Jerusalem's been surrounded by pagans, pagan nations. They're against the people that came back into the land. The people are back in the land and they're supposed to be building the temple and the pagan nations round about them are just uh, inhibiting them, uh, threatening them, frightening them. And the angel asked, how long will you not have mercy on on uh, Jerusalem, and on the cities of Judah, against which thou has indignation these three score and ten years. God, for seventy years you've allowed these Gentiles to destroy, to run to and fro throughout the land of Israel, your promised land, your promised people. How long will you allow that? That's a theme, by the way, throughout the scriptures when you look at uh, Israel, uh, even the The martyrs that are part of the heavenly scene in the book of the Revelation. Lord, how long will you put up with? How long will you judge? Asking God how long. And God lets us know when he's ready. It's when he's ready. We need to honor him until he's going to do what he's going to do. He just calls for us to be faithful. And he'll accomplish his will in his time. In our lives. He has a plan. And you and I don't necessarily know uh, the day-to-day events of the plan, but we know the end of the plan. And this is where this beautiful passage comes in. Notice verse 13. And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words. And my Bible says comforting words. Is that what yours says? Comforting words. He answered the angel with comforting words. Isn't that wonderful? I think it is. Think, if you would, please. Uh, What are the comforting words God's going to accomplish his will? God's going to end the whole business, and we'll see that in the context. God's going to have victory. God's going to bring in his mercy. God's going to bring in his Messiah. This nation will rise again. Words of encouragement, words of comfort. And that's what this angel, the Lord spoke through the angel uh, to Zechariah. Words of comfort. And we need those words of comfort. But you know where they come from? They come from my mate. She comforts me, gives me words of encouragement. But those words are human words, right? Real comfort comes when she gives me a scripture passage. That's the real comfort. You know, she, you know Nancy could say to me, don't worry about that, Bill. You'll be better tomorrow. Well, I might be, and then again, I might die in the night, you know. For my terrible indigestion or something like that. She doesn't know. She can't know the end. But when she tells me, you know, even if you die in the night, God's going to bring you to glory. No, she doesn't say that. But you, you get the picture. Words, real words of comfort come through the scriptures. We try our best to comfort people with our words. But they fall very, very short of the word of God. We're going to see that's what these people needed, this word of comfort. See, for us, we know the end of it. They didn't know the end of it until this angel revealed this to them. And we're going to see that, picking it up now, if we could, in Zechariah chapter 1. So the angel that talked uh, with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. I'm jealous for my land. Now, remember where they are. They're in a land that's been totally destroyed. The walls are broken down. The temple's broken down. All the buildings are broken down. Their their houses have been destroyed. They're looking at rubble. They're looking at a a terrible mess, a dung heap, if you would. And and they're wondering, how long, O Lord? How long will you not honor uh, Israel. And God said, I'm jealous over Israel with a great jealousy. I'm going to come back in full strength and full glory. The thing of it is, though, it wasn't what they wanted necessarily. It's what God wanted. It wasn't when they wanted. It's when God wanted. And that's so hard for us to recognize. On on several occasions in my life, I've cried unto the Lord about something. uh, Just bringing my heart before the Lord, asking Him, pleading with Him. And it didn't come. It didn't come for a long time. But then it came. And there's still some things I'm still asking about. Not yet. Not yet. In God's timing, you see. God's going to accomplish His will. And so most of my prayer now, I don't know how you folks do. You can do before the Lord what you want. I always pray... If thou will, Lord. That ends almost every single one of my prayers before the Lord. If Lord willing, if you will. Because I know God is going to accomplish his perfect will, but it's not always in my time. Though I'm in a hurry. How about you? Are you ever in a hurry about anything? I'm in a hurry. Not, no, not at all? Okay. <laughs> Let's go on. I'm going to do that. Notice uh, verse 15. And I am very displeased with the nations that, uh, that, uh, that are, uh, let me read that again, and I am very displeased with the nations that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. I am upset with the nations, and I will, I, I am going to judge those nations. Now, I won't have you turn there, because there's a lot of passages we could look at But if you went to the book of Ezekiel, you'd see, for example, in in chapter 25 and verse 7, God says, I'm going to judge Ammon, that the nations may know that I am the Lord. And you check Ezekiel, all the way through the book of Ezekiel, you see God letting uh, the people know. Moab, I'm going to judge the the Moabites, what? That they may know that I am the Lord. And uh, again, in In 14 Edom, I'm going to uh, judge Philistia. I'm going to judge Sidon. I'm going to judge Egypt. Why? That they may know that I am the Lord. Every time God mentions that, he's letting the nation of Israel know no one is getting away with anything. I'm going to judge those people. Why? Because I'm the Lord. And though the nations may think they're getting away with something, God says they don't. You don't. I have a judgment that's coming. Now, how could they get away with it? Well, if they repent. If they repent of their sin. But, of course, uh, we know uh, that they uh, did not. And God did bring his judgment upon these nations. Now, let's continue on just a little bit further if we can. So the angel continues to speak and, uh, and to let them know what God had to say. Verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Now, we're going to discuss this line, and we're going to discuss a measurement here a little bit in just a few moments. But just give me a few minutes. God said, I am going to return to Jerusalem. I am returned to Jerusalem. How did he return to Jerusalem? Through Zerubbabel, through the remnant that returned, and then through uh, uh, Ezra. God said, I'm going to return to Jerusalem, and I am returning to Jerusalem, and I'm going to do my will, and I want my temple built again there in Jerusalem. And so remember, the whole purpose to bring the people back into the land was to reestablish temple worship. To uh, reestablish temple worship. That was his plan. That's how Israel worshiped God, through the tabernacle in the wilderness. Through Solomon's temple and now through Zerubbabel's temple, God wants them to reestablish his worship. I'm there. I'm going to judge the nations. I'm going to judge the cities. And I'm going to put a line upon the nation of Jerusalem. That is, God is going to measure the nation. And we're going to see this as we move along, that God measures things to give us some exact boundaries. Pick it up, if you would, please, in verse uh, Verse 17. <clears throat> Verse 17, he said, uh, uh, cry yet, saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, my cities through prosperity shall yet spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. So God has a plan for Jerusalem. Now you and I would wonder about this. We we would be horrified, but let's pretend with a sanctified imagination that A giant nuclear weapon went off in downtown Providence. Urban renewal. The place is just flattened. You you, you walk through there and you stumble over all the ruins. And as you're walking through there, God says, one day I'm going to build this place again. We would think, well, how could this happen? How is this possible? And that's what those people are standing there. Remember the, the nations had stopped them from building. They discouraged them from building. We're in Ezra. And they're crying, oh, Lord, how long? How long? And God said, I'm going to do it. And when I do it, it's going to be glorious. Now, he's not referring to Zerubbabel's temple, as we'll see. He's referring to his temple, his eternal temple, in what we know to be the millennial kingdom. That's coming. He, he's going to sanction Zerubbabel's temple. And Zerubbabel's temple was built, and it did stand for a period of time. But it, the people of Israel never honored the Lord completely through Zerubbabel's temple, ever. And then, of course, Herod's temple came along. And the people of the Lord never honored the Lord through Herod's temple at all. And it's interesting, there's very little mentioned about Herod's temple as far as God honoring it. The only passage I can find that God sanctioned Herod's temple, which was part of Zerubbabel's temple, Herod re- did the whole business and just left a few stones there. But um, the only Bible verse I can mention that God uh, sanctions uh, Herod's temple is when Jesus cleansed the place and he said, it is written in Isaiah, make not my father's house a den of thieves, but a place of prayer. That's the only place I can see that he honored. But God did not necessarily honor Zerubbabel's temple, though it was built and the people dishonored God in it. Then he he didn't sanction or honor necessarily Herod's temple, but as we move on, the next temple to be built, that is that God will sanction, is what we know to be the millennial temple. Now there will be a temple in the great tribulation period. Again, we're going to see this as we progress, but uh, recognizes that God said, "I'm coming back, and I'm going to build my temple, and it will be an everlasting temple, and it will be a temple of glory." It'll be a temple of glory. What they saw there, they were discouraged with for the most part. Remember, there were people upset. Yeah, yeah, it's nice, but it wasn't like the first temple, Solomon's temple. But God said, I have a plan for this temple and will continue my plan. So the angel lets them know, I am going to choose Jerusalem as my place. And it will be the place of my temple. Now pick it up in verse 18. He sees another vision. All these visions came within just a couple of hours. In verse 18, And and, uh, then lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. Now the four horns are interesting, and we could take a great deal of time with this. But again, they're very picturesque. The four horns, and then along with this four horns, continue on in verse 19, And I said unto the angel who talked with me, What are these? And he answered me and said, these, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So the angel answers the question, I see four horns. Now I meant to bring, a, I have a giant horn in my office, a couple of them. I meant to bring them, but I didn't. So forgive me, I'll try to think of it next week. A giant horn. A horn was a symbol in, in the scriptures, a symbol of power and strength. And the angel lets... Uh, Zechariah know that these horns represent those nations that scattered Israel. So these would be the, uh, the nations uh, pictured in the book of Daniel. The Gentile nations that God allowed, Babylon, the media persian Empire later on, of course, there'll be Greece and, and also uh, Roman Empire. But these are the nations that scattered Israel. These are the ones that overtook Israel. They're the ones that destroyed Israel if you would. And now verse 20, and the Lord showed me four artisans. Now the word artisan in my Bible, or you may have it as a craftsman, these are men that work with wood and horn or bone. These are men that work with uh, instruments of cutting down things, destroying things if you would, or building up things. He says, these are, notice, uh, He showed me four artisans, and I said, Verse 21, then said I, what come these to do? And he spoke in saying, these are the horns which scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head, but these are come to terrify them, to cast out the horns of the nations which lifted up their horn over the land or over Judah to scatter it. So we see that these horns become artisans. The very horns themselves that destroyed... The nation of Judah now become instruments that destroy the horn that's in front of it. They come to destroy it. So, for example, uh, let's, well, let's look at this if we could, please. Uh, turn with me to Daniel chapter 8, please. Daniel chapter 8. Actually, head back to Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, you know, of course, this is the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had, and Daniel's the one that can answer uh, the vision. We're in Daniel chapter 2. Let's pick it up in verse 36. Daniel two thirty-six. Daniel is answering Nebuchadnezzar's vision about this image, this great image. Verse 36, and this is the dream, and we will tell its interpretation before the king. Thou, O king, are a king of kings, for God, the God of heaven has given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven, hath he given into thy hand and hath made thee ruler over all them. Thou art the head of gold. But what's interesting is he's the mightiest nation, Gentile nation in the face of the earth. But he's not going to stand very long. He's going to be destroyed by what nation? The media persian Empire is going to come. See, so Nebuchadnezzar, Who is one of the great horns is going to be destroyed by the artisan that comes. And the artisan that comes, Media Persia, is is, uh, now going to be destroyed by the third kingdom, which is Greece. So the horns, the great strength of the horn, is destroyed by the next nation that God allows to come up. And this is the vision that he had. One after another, these nations that come, they will be. Uh, mighty and powerful, but they'll be destroyed by the, by the nation that comes to conquer them. So, the, the artisans, if you would, the craftsmen, destroy the, each horn that was before them. And he lets us know that in verse uh, 39 And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of bronze, which shall be a rule over the whole earth. So, you see, the nation after nation comes, but they can't stand. They don't stand, they're destroyed one at a time. And this is letting uh, Zechariah know, and uh, by, by example, letting us know that God is sovereign over all these nations. Even though they have power, even though they have strength, God can bring another nation in. You know, we don't think about that. I mean, I'm excited. I don't know about you. Our uh, uh, president-elect's going to rebuild our military, and once again, we'll be the Most powerful nation on earth. And all that business, you hear all the rhetoric that goes with it. And and I trust the Lord. That's so. I hope that's so. Uh, I'm praying that for my grandchildren's sake at least. Uh, But recognize this, that just just a wink of God's eye and this nation will no longer be a power at all. Why? Because he controls the nations. He controls everything about them. So though we can claim might and power and strength, God can stop it all in a, in, in a split second, in a split second. So who's our trust in? It's certainly not in the president-elect or, or the nation. Our trust should be in the Lord. He's going to accomplish his perfect will. So back with me to Zechariah now, if you would, please. Another angel comes on the scene. This is the uh, vision of an angel. And the angel, I want you to notice, verse 2. Uh, Chapter 2, picking it up in verse 1, and I lifted up mine eyes again and look and behold a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then, I, then said I, where, where goes thou? Where are you going with this measuring instrument? And he said to measure Jerusalem to see what is the breadth of it and what is the length of it. And behold, the angel who talked with me went forth and another angel went out to meet him. Now we're going to discuss that in a moment, but he He travels with a measuring line. Now, a measuring line or a reed or a rod were used for measurements. Uh, There were cubits, uh, 18 inches, and there was a number of different measurements there, but the measurements in the Hebrew and in the Greek did not always line up. So I brought something with me here. This is, you have to picture, this would be, Uh, This would be a smaller stick, but this thing is 10 feet tall. This is 10 feet tall. This would be called a rod, a rod, a measuring rod, a 10-foot tall rod. The reed, unless I have these backwards, one of them was 10 feet tall. The reed was 10 feet 8 inches tall. Now, God's sending an angel out with a measuring stick to measure Jerusalem. And this happens throughout the scriptures. You see angels measuring things. And so they take these rods, this reed, if you would, and he travels around measuring the temple. Now, why is he measuring the temple? He's not necessarily measuring the temple that is. He's measuring the temple that shall be. And Ezekiel talks about that. So uh, keep in mind, 10 feet tall. Pretty tall. It's almost as big as Goliath. Imagine that. He was nine feet, what, six inches? Is that right? Something like that. Big, big guy. But the angel has this stick, and he's running around measuring Jerusalem. or measuring the city proper. Why? Because God has a plan. Now, I'd like us to compare this just for a moment, if we could. Um, turn with me to, quickly to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. God sends angels to measure things, but we have one interesting uh, side note here. That in Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, God uses John to measure something. Revelation 11, look at verses 1 and 2. So it's the reed that's 10 feet 8 inches, and the, the rod was 10 feet tall. But notice he gives John... Uh, a measuring stick, and pick it up in verse 1, Revelation 11, one. And there was given me a reed like a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship in it. But the court which is outside the temple, leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the nations, and the holy city shall tread underfoot, and they shall tread the holy city underfoot, for 42 months, so John is given a measuring stick, a reed, or a, a rod, uh, a rod, uh, 10 feet 8 inches long, and God says, "I want you to go and measure that temple." Now, what temple is that? It's the tribulation temple, right? Notice what he, God says: the nations are going to trod down this place for 42 months. This is the middle of the Great Tribulation period. And we have the two witnesses that come on here. So John measures the temple. And for some reason, John forgot to put the measurements here. I would have loved to have those measurements, wouldn't you? We have no clue what the millennial, I mean what the tribulation temple is going to be like, but there's going to be a building built on the mount that we know right now to be the Temple Mount. Remember, Jesus warns, when you see. The abomination that makes desolate stand in the holy place. That's holy place is the temple there in Jerusalem. So we don't know what this temple is like. We have no clue what it looks like or how big it will be. But John was given a a rod to go and measure it to see how big it was. Now turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 21. And we'll pick it right up in verse 15. Revelation 21, look at verse 15. And he that talked with me, this is the angel speaking to John again, he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and its gates and its wall. A golden reed, so he had this big, long, 10-foot stick to go around and measure this new city. Now, you've got to believe that this angel was a busy measurer. I Remember when we had when we were going to remove the pews, and we had um, a, uh, a man come in to give us measurements. He's going to sand the floors and all this business. And he came in, and, and uh, I told him, you know, uh, I'm going to be helpful. I'd like to be helpful. I said, well, I'll hold the tape measure. And he went up to that wall back there, and he had a laser, and he, he pushed it, and he hit this wall here, and, okay, it's this long. And he, he went over there with a, with a laser, and he, okay, it's this wide, and, you know. I felt like a dope, you know. <laughs> well, you don't use a tape measure anymore? What's wrong with you? What if your batteries died? You know, you know I went through all that with it. <clears throat> but this angel has a 10-foot rod, and he measures 1,363 miles square. He must have been flying, wouldn't you say? He measured something that is... square miles. He's measuring with his golden rod. And you know what's interesting? If you you look back, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 40 now, please. Ezekiel chapter 40. In Ezekiel chapter 40, we have another angel. God uses angels to measure. Isn't that great? I thought it was great. Okay, we're in Ezekiel chapter 40. Look with me, please, right at uh, verses 1 through 4. In the 5 and 20th year of our captivity, in the beginning of the year, in the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was smitten, on the very same day, the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me there. And in visions of God brought me uh, into the land of Israel and set me upon a very high mountain uh, on which a structure like a city was on the south, verse 3. And he brought me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze, with a line of flax in his hand, and a measuring reed, and he stood in the gate. And the man said unto me, Son of man, behold with thine eyes, and hear with thine ears, and set thine heart upon all that I shall show thee, for the intent that I might show them unto thee, art thou brought here, declare all that you see unto the house of Israel. So this angelic being, which, by the way, part of it could have been the preincarnate Christ, we don't question that, but it's not specific, but it certainly could have been him. But this angel now begins the process of measuring what we know to be the millennial temple. So God gives specific days in which the vision was seen, And he gives specific measurements within the temple. Look look please uh, at chapter 41, verse 1. 41, 1. And afterwards he brought me to the temple and measured the post of six cubits broad in the one side and six cubits broad on the other, which is the breadth of the tabernacle. So specific measurements are given for the temple proper, for the city proper. You could see that he measures the altar of the of the uh, of this temple, this great millennial temple that's going to take place, God using angels again to measure. So when when uh, um, Ezra is talking about angels measuring things, it's literal. It's literal. It's a vision. But these angels are very busy examining and measuring what God had them to do. Remember, they're waiting upon the Lord. One other thing very interesting is, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 47. Not only does he measure the temple, he measures, in uh, Ezekiel chapter 47, he measures the water. I love this. He actually, there's a, in the millennial temple, there'll be a, A river that will be flowing out of it. It's mentioned, of course, um, on several occasions in the scriptures. There's also a river that comes out of the New Jerusalem as well. But this river that's coming out of the sanctuary, pick it up in chapter 47 and verse 1. Afterwards, he brought me again unto the door of the house. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward from the forefront of the house. Uh, stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Very specific. Here's where the waters begin. Here's where they go. Here's where they travel. Pick it up in verse 2. Then brought me out of the way of the gate northward, and led me the way outside unto the outer gate by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits and brought me through the waters, and the waters were to the ankles. So the river is issuing out of this great millennial temple, and the angel is measuring it. And he has Ezekiel walk through it, and Ezekiel said, it was only up to my ankles. And what's so miraculous about this river, the further out it goes, instead of spreading out and becoming dissipated or less deep, it becomes deeper. The further out he goes, the deeper the water begins. And pretty soon he can't can't cross it. He can't span the thing. It's miraculous. So God, back with me now to the book of Zechariah again, God has these angels measuring what will come in this millennial temple. And what is that? It's a word of comfort for this desolate people who have come back to the land and though this Temple is not what you're looking for, necessarily. I'm going to use it for my glory, but there's another temple coming. And they're words of comfort to us. Do you ever feel sometimes like a failure? Serving the Lord? Listen, words of comfort. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He's going to do something with it. He's going to use you to accomplish his perfect will. He has a plan. That he's going to undertake. And though what you see right now may not look what you're looking for. It may even be discouraging to you right now. God has a plan. And your job is to follow his word. To be faithful to what he's written. That's your job. He'll be faithful in the end of it. You have to be faithful in service now to him. Honoring him through his word. Letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the power of the Spirit of God work in you. That morning, morning message was terrific for that, wasn't it? Letting God work through you and in you, it's his will. It's his power. All we need to do is submit to that, and he'll accomplish his perfect will. But what we need to do is recognize, though what we're looking at now may not necessarily be what I was looking for, God still wants to work through me and in me. Words of comfort. Now, pick it up, please, in verse... Um, 8, verse 8, remember that the, Zechariah is just devastated by what he's seen, by what's going on. The people aren't rebuilding the temple, and God is comforting him with these words, the temple will be built, and I will accomplish my perfect will. And now, remember Zechariah asked, well, how long, O oh Lord, will you allow these nations to, to get away with what they've got? How long? Notice what we read in verse eight, verse eight, please, of chapter two, Zechariah two eight, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath set me unto the nations which spoil you. Notice what God says, for he that touches you, touches the apple of God's eye. Now it's interesting when you look this up, and you can hunt around and look. Uh, literally, it's talking about the iris talking about the the very center of an eye I went hunting and I was walking out of the woods and it was dark and a little tiny branch rubbed across the center of my eye I never saw it you know I was ducking and a little branch it was one of the most painful things you can experience I mean I didn't die or anything you know but it, it touches that little iris and oh excruciating pain and God is letting us know and we'll see this in a couple places When you attack God's people, you're poking your finger in his eye. God is very serious about his people. Very serious. And he lets Israel know that. So you might think these nations are getting away with something. They're not getting away with a thing. Remember the Lord Jesus said we have not, through the book of Hebrews, we have not a... High priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows. He knows exactly what's going on. So let's chase this around just for a minute. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 32. The Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter 32. And look with me please at verse 6. Deuteronomy 32.6. In Deuteronomy 32, we'll start right at verse 6. Do ye thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is it not the Father who hath brought thee, bought thee? Hath he not made thee and established thee? So God's letting the nation know in Deuteronomy 32, in verse 6. God letting, it's, it's him. It's God's selection. It's God's protection. It's God's work. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask the Father, and he will show thee thine elders, and they will tell thee. When the Most High divided into the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Abraham, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in a waste, howling wilderness. He led him about. Uh, He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. God kept the nation of Israel as the apple of his eye. God protected, and when anyone uh, affected the people of Israel, they were affecting the very God himself. One more place. Turn with me to the 17th Psalm now. The 17th Psalm. Psalm 17. I'm running out of time, so... I'll just run through these quickly. The seventeenth psalm. Look with me, please, at verses seven and eight. The seventeenth psalm, verse seven: Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou who savest by thy right hand those who put their trust in thee; for those who rise up against them, keep me as the apple of the eye of thine eye, hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Protect me like the apple of your eye. Protect me. Now, that being true, the apple of God's eye, the nations that were afflicting Israel were poking their finger, literally, in the eye of God. And God said, they're not going to get away with this. Though you may think they accomplished something, I'm accomplishing my will. Now, one thing we know for sure is that God gives nations time. He gives all nations time, does he not? Yeah. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of truth. He gives them time to respond to his grace. And even though they may get hotter and hotter and hotter, there's a day of judgment coming, but he still gives them a time. But the opposite of that is true as well. And that he mentions in the book of Genesis, I won't have you turn there right now, he mentions that those whom... Abraham was uh, going to be part of he said I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee the opposite is true is it not if a nation was to help the nation of Israel God would bless that nation and you know that's true of you and I sometimes it doesn't seem it we don't completely understand it but nations are blessed when they honor God's people preserved if you would not unto eternal life, everyone has to do their, their everyone has to uh, submit to the, God's will that way. But as far as physical blessing, companies are blessed by Christians who work there. God wants to preserve it. Companies are blessed. Nations are blessed. One more passage, and we'll close. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. So judgment comes upon those that afflict God's people, but blessing comes upon those who help God's people. And we see that in Matthew chapter 25. This takes place right after the great tribulation period when Messiah returns to earth. And he separates the nations, the the sheep and the goat, the the goyim, the the unregenerated or or regenerated as the case may be, uh, Gentile nations. And then he sets a boundary for them. And notice what he says And uh, pick it up, and we'll just pick it up in verse 40. Verse 40. The king shall answer and say unto them. He, he's blessing uh, some peoples here that were part of the great tribulation period. But notice he says, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren. You have done it unto me. God blessing people who took care of, uh, this could be Jews or Christians in the Great Tribulation period. Remember, if you become a Christian in the Great Tribulation period, that is anyone who uh, is in the Tribulation who becomes a Christian, they will be hunted down and slaughtered. Not being able to buy anything, not being able to sell anything, it'll be horrible. They'll be hunted down and slaughtered. But if you took a, uh, uh, a Christian or a Jew in and helped them and took care of them, God said he would bless you immensely for that. Now, the reason they would take them in, of course, is because they were fellow believers. But recognize, recognize that though a nation that curses Israel or that uh, invades Israel or that hurts Israel in some way, God says you're poking your finger in my eye. But if you bless Israel or help Israel, God will bless you. And just by way of testimony, I think that's why we've stood the test of time as a nation. I think we almost dropped the ball for a while. But it seems like, and I don't know, I'm not a prophet, or a son of a prophet, but it seems like uh, we're going to regain that uh, that friendship we once had with the nation of Israel again. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, we see these visions. We, we we see you very plainly pointing out that you are going to once again ra- raise Israel out. You will bring them to a place of glory and honor. You will bring them to a place of prominence because your son, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, shall come and reign in glory and honor. Father, we know it's the dwelling place of God. Right now, we look at a nation that's in great turmoil, great distress, We see a temple mount that's filled with Islamic artifact, And yet, Father, one day you said you're going to put your temple there once again. So, Father, we believe your word. We trust you. They're comforting words for us. No one is going to win unless you give them your blessing. So, Father, we pray that you'd help us. Help us to be comforted by the very words we read, that we'd let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, That the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, would encourage our hearts. That we might know what is the, the length and the breadth and the height. We might understand all that you have for us. Thank you for this time. And we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen.